Hey, it's your fellow revolutionary, Jason Vreeke, and these are Tales of the Revolution with Jason Vreeke. This episode is the second installment on the topic of deception. I'm calling this episode Deceived Unto Death. Would you like to know more? Check out talesoftherevolution.com. Subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, and anywhere you find podcasts. They told you it was for the best. In the long run, it would be good. Think of your future, they said. They told you it was a safe and sterile medical procedure. They said that a fetus couldn't feel pain. The heartbeat isn't a real heartbeat. It was more like a mass of cells than a living organism. If there are any side effects, they are extremely rare. You'll feel virtually no pain, physical or otherwise. This is what they told you. But you were deceived. They didn't tell you that a fetus has DNA unique from yours and oftentimes an altogether different blood type. They made light of or did not mention the long-term side effects, increased risk of premature birth in the future, infertility, depression, guilt, shame, and a haunting specter of what could have been Short-term side effects, also not mentioned, or mentioned too briefly to make an impact. Excessive bleeding, abdominal swelling, uterine perforation, cervical tears, and in extreme cases, death. For the other person, the so-called fetus, Death is almost inevitable. Almost, because there are some survivors. Nobody told you that more than a part of you dies when you ingest that poisonous pill. They assured you that you would have pain relievers as the fetus was vacuumed out of your body. They didn't tell you about the squirming you feel after the saline injection is made. They kept from you how a fetus makes brave attempts to evade forceps before they're ripped apart. You were deceived. The advice you received 
was that there was no moral implication in the matter. It's not really a human. Besides, it's your body. It's your right. They said this as they coerced you into signing the papers. They made it seem as though this was the only option. You're too young, they said. You can't care for a child. You need to finish school. How are you going to afford a baby? You were deceived. You believed the lies. You buried the guilt. You covered the pain. But now, it has returned. What will you do? Roughly 2,000 years ago, a man walked the earth. He was rejected by the religious leaders of his day, and really by the majority of his contemporaries. Despite this, he led a revolution. In his revolution, people turn away from sinfulness and selfish living and turn to God. He didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people live. His views are so radical that the power elite of his day thought it was best to conspire to have him executed. They succeeded, but the victory belonged to this great revolutionary, Jesus of Nazareth. As he emerged from the tomb alive, after suffering a horrific death by crucifixion, which is where we get our word excruciating, he claimed the victory. And this is his victory, our salvation. He is the redeemer of mankind. Jesus is 100% man and 100% God. If that weren't the case, he wouldn't have the power to redeem us nor the right, but he has both. He claimed to be God's son and therefore equal with God. He actually purported to be the voice who spoke to Moses from the burning bush. He said his nature is eternal. Later, inspired writers would say that this man is actually the one who created the heavens and the earth. That's both matter and time itself. And not only did he create all of existence, but he actually holds it together by his power. When he was questioned about the latter times, the days in which we live, he spoke very plainly. He said, make sure that no one deceives you. Those were the first words he said when he was asked about the latter days. Does that sound strange to you? Not to me. With every passing day, I see more deception and in greater depth. Would you like to know more? Read Matthew chapter 24. And don't stop. Keep reading. Hey, thanks for coming. I know sometimes it's hard to get in. You know, earlier I was listening to this economist, and um, 
He was saying he wasn't sure if the president was going to be able to defend us from this upcoming economic downturn. He's this uh, famous economist who's predicted all kinds of bubbles that would burst. And uh, he says we're kind of about to experience one now. And really there's nothing we can do. What was fascinating about it was the reason. He said that especially with the upcoming retirement and death of a large portion of the baby boomer generation that we would see a greatly reduced workforce. And I was listening and I was like, well, you know, we'll do what we can. Uh, Seems like whenever there's a bad economy, the Lord always makes a way for us. And he could be wrong. And the talk show host was saying how, you know, I hope you're wrong and America's going to fight back and really try to make the best of this. And hopefully by our tenacity alone, we'll be able to at least stay flat with the economy and not experience some kind of bubble burst, but maybe have some kind of soft landing and then pull ourselves back up. And as they were talking, I was thinking, why do we have such a small workforce? I thought the population was growing out of control. And they didn't mention this, but I thought about it. We don't often think about how over the past several decades that what, some 60 million people have died without even being given a chance to live? I mean, those are people who would have been in the workforce right now. Hey, any one of these people could have found cures for all kinds of ailments, but they weren't even given a chance. And I just, I thought that was interesting. Sad, really. The workforce is too small. Where are those... 60 million people who would have been alive right now in this country alone who could have been working. I know it's a sad indictment and the issue is often talked about on a moral standpoint, which I agree with. We don't have the right to kill innocent people. We put ourselves in God's place when we do that. And just a couple years ago when I was warning people about post-birth abortions, well, they're legal now in some countries. They don't call it that. They call it euthanasia. But they allow it now for children who are born with birth defects. How much longer until there doesn't need to be a birth defect? How much longer until it's, you know, anyone anywhere for any reason? If those in power say it's okay. I know in philosophy they call it a slippery slope, but maybe it's true. There was a time when they wouldn't allow any kind of nudity or profanity or gross violence in movies. And back in the 1940s, filmmakers said, well, we can't start allowing even the smallest amount of profanity or violence or nudity because one day you'll have films that are just full of this filth, dare I say, Those men in the 1940s who said this were absolutely correct. So even on a moral basis, of course, we look at the issue in that regard. But what about the practical basis? The fact that we're going to come into an economic downturn, possibly, because of a reduced workforce. And those who don't really look at economics 
A reduced workforce means reduced productivity, which means reduced wealth, reduced prosperity. Is that what we want? I know it can be said that prosperity is not the only thing, but it's certainly something about America that's special. Are we witnessing the twilight's last gleaming? Our guest storyteller is not one who is unfamiliar with the sanctity of human life. Tori Shaw sits on the board of a pro-life, pro-family organization in High Point, North Carolina. It's called the New Life Family Outreach. She and this organization are all about helping young mothers and families, including fathers, to have what they need to raise children, even if the conception is unexpected. So you might come to the conclusion that Tori is deeply involved in her community in reaching and ministering to those who would be considered pre-abortive or post-abortive. But there's something else you may not know about Tori, and I'm going to let her tell you that. I was able to bring the Jason Vreeke mobile recording studio directly to her for this exclusive story. I don't think most people really understand life in the womb. People have been told that life doesn't really begin until you're born. And so I love organizations that teach people that life starts at conception, that we're all God's children, and that He created us, you know, from the moment we're conceived, He created us to be who we're going to be. So I love supporting an organization that makes sure that people understand that truth instead of just thinking that life in the womb isn't important. So my husband and I were high school sweethearts, and when I was about 16 years old, I got really, really sick, and um, my mom didn't know what was wrong with me, and I didn't know what was wrong with me. I couldn't keep any food down, and I was just terribly sick. So we went to the doctor, and that's where I found out that I was pregnant. I was so sick that they put me in the hospital right away and because um, I was so dehydrated. They gave me all this medication to prevent the nausea and to get better, and I, and it made me go to sleep. So I found out you know, one hour that I was pregnant, I was only 16, never even thought of, the, it never even occurred to me that I was pregnant. And then the very next hour I was like drugged and asleep. And I just felt like, I don't, I, when I look back on that now, I didn't have the opportunity to really think about or process the information. Um, I was a believer at the time, it was not a strong believer. But I don't feel like I had a chance to think about it or pray about it because I just went to sleep right away. And it was sort of, I don't want to say it was decided for me because I did play a, a part in that decision. But it was decided so quickly and so abruptly. When I woke up the next morning in the hospital to go home, we went straight to the abortion clinic. And I got to talk to Brian and tell him, but... It was, a, it was a decision that I made all by myself, except for that people influenced my decision, but didn't make sure that I knew everything I should have known. So that's one of the reasons why I love organizations that will give you more information about, you know, what abortion really is and um, what life is and before. I remember going to the abortion clinic and I remember being like the youngest one there and there were so many other women there. We were sitting in like this lobby area in the waiting room, not with like the 
people outside, but all the people in the little waiting room were having abortions. I was holding my trash can, throwing up in it. I was so sick. And the youngest one by far. And um, I just remember these ladies being like, you're going to feel so much better in a few hours, you know. And, oh, this is no big deal. This is my sixth abortion and different things like that. And so it just it, it made me feel better in a way because I was like, oh, okay, well, this is only my first, so no big deal. But, but even none of the doctors, none of the people that, you know, did my paperwork or did the ultrasound or anything, none of them told me, you don't have to do this. There's other options, you know. Nobody said, um, are you sure about this? You know, nobody said, you will be emotionally <laughs> messed up by this for years and years and years and years. Everybody just kind of acted like, oh, it's just another day, no big deal, because um, that was their jobs or they've had them before or whatever. I, I think that comforted me in that moment because I didn't want to think about it and I just wanted to get it over with. But it's hard to think back now and, and I just wonder what would happen if somebody had said you don't have to do this there's another option or you know think about that this baby I didn't even know how far along I was I didn't and I didn't hear the baby's heartbeat nothing so I would just wonder if I had heard those things what would have happened um, I remember laying on the little bed that they put you on and um, going through the actual procedure and I, there's just these noises and things that even now if I hear something similar it makes me almost sick to my stomach I just I, I can't even I can't I wouldn't I won't even tell you those noises but I just remember thinking how how does this happen where does it where does the baby go like what do they do with the baby and all this stuff and all these questions that I really just feel like should have been answered or I don't know I just feel like today's woman just it's convenient let's go get rid of this baby but then we don't know what they're doing really to us as women or to the babies. And then I, I really don't think people understand the emotional part that follows because even, even laying in the recovery room, I mean, I was 16, I was young and all they would talk about to me was getting on birth control. And, um, you know, since you're sexually active, you need to be on birth control and stuff. Nobody even said, like, maybe you shouldn't be having sex. Like, I don't know. It's just a, a there's just a total miss. Something's missed completely. And it scars a woman forever, I feel like. Because um, even now, I still hate talking about it. I mean, it's just a horror. I can't even really believe I did that. But anyway, so I've, it's something that I've hidden for 17 years. Of course, Brian knew, my mom knew, and I told one person in college, I think, that was going through a similar situation. So in all of that time, 17 years, I have had this, like, dark cloud over my head. I mean, it's just caged me in, and I've, I've been burdened by this lie. I felt like I was pretending to be somebody I wasn't. Because I've been pro-life for a long time, but I would have never said before, These, this is the reason I'm pro-life. Because now I'm scarred. Now I'm I'm battle something daily, shame and guilt, daily that I would have not had to battle otherwise. So after 17 years of um, hiding this secret and knowing that I it would probably be better for me to open up about it and choosing not to open up because I was scared of what people might think or say. 
I was at church one Sunday morning, and if you had asked me that morning would I talk about it that day, I would have not thought I would. But the pastor was talking about that we build up walls that keep us from growing closer to God, that we that we build these, these big barriers between ourselves and God. And if we will just let it go or, or break that down, we will have an, a, a much closer relationship with God. And I knew he was talking to me because that's kind of been where I've been for a long time. I know God wanted me to open up about it. And I know that he's forgiven me, but I wasn't walking in the forgiveness that he had given me, the freedom. So that day, we talked to my one of my pastors who was just thrilled that I was willing to share it and prayed with us and prayed for boldness for me to talk about it. And so then that night, I shared it on my blog that I write. And it has had over 3,000 views now. And I've had many people come to me and say, I have a similar situation. So thankful that you opened up. It makes me feel like I can talk about it. And even, I mean, most people would have never dreamed that that was a part of my past. So I think it makes people understand that God loves everybody. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter the things that are in your past that haunt you. God gives freedom to anybody. He doesn't hold those things over our head. There truly is no condemnation in Jesus Christ. And it took me 17 years to figure that out. But now, even that happened in May that I shared my story for the first time. I have a new freedom that I never have experienced before. I, I don't mind talking about it. I almost want to talk about it because I know that God can use it in such a good way, in such a meaningful way to other people. And I just, I don't know, I just enjoy walking in freedom knowing that the only one that really matters has forgiven me. So what other people think about me or my past or if they want to be judgmental, it really doesn't matter. because. My Jesus has forgiven me, and I walk in freedom now. And I just want to say to anybody that has had an abortion in the past, it does not define you. Of course, it was a decision you didn't, you wish you hadn't made probably, but you can walk in freedom too. Jesus will forgive you. He already has forgiven you. You just need to step into it. You just need to um, surrender your life to Him and believe that He is forgiving you, and He's the only one that really matters. If you find yourself in a situation and you're considering an abortion, my words to you would be just find somebody to talk to that's been there, that's done it. Because I would just almost imagine that every person that's had an abortion would probably tell you they wish they hadn't done it. It will haunt you for the rest of your life because you, because even if you don't realize it, you've taken a life um, that wasn't yours to take. So if, you, if it's something that you are considering or have thought about or it comes up in the future, I just ask you to seek out advice from someone who knows what they're talking about and who will tell you the whole story. And that's why I love New Life Family Outreach because they will tell you. And there's other places in all communities probably that will be honest with you. If there's anybody that's pressuring you to have an abortion, whether it be a parent or um, a friend or even a spouse or loved one, um, I just would advise you to think about yourself and how you will handle it in the future because those other people can advise you to do that, but they're not the ones making the choice. It's not their body. The baby's not inside of their body, so it's not something that they will struggle with daily. For me, I went through a, a time of 
drowning my sorrows in alcohol and um, doing everything under the sun to, um, I don't even know how to say it, but just to wash it away kind of or hide it from myself. I wanted to not think about it, wanted to believe that it hadn't happened for me, that I wouldn't make that choice. And so I almost turned into this other person that I wasn't. Like, it will change you. It might not change the people who are pressuring you, but it will change you. My prayer is for anybody that's considering that, don't listen to other people. Listen to yourself. Think about how you'll handle it in the future. Because abortion is mainly so that whoever is involved can just brush it under the rug and be done with it. But that the, the absolute opposite happens from that, in my opinion. I was only 16, so some of it is kind of blurry for me at that point. But I do remember going through a lot of stages of, oh, that didn't really happen. Or everybody knows and everybody's mad at me. Like, just these different stages of um, fear and guilt. And, and then mostly, for over half of my life now, I have lived in shame. And I do think that that's something that's very common. I had another friend that told me that she had an abortion as well, and her, her biggest thing was that she lived in shame. And God doesn't want us to live that way. He didn't, Jesus didn't come to die so that we would walk in shame. So I just, I don't think that, I don't think people know that it, how it will affect you for the rest of your life. So it's been like seven or eight months since I shared my story for the first time. And I, I walk in a different in a different way. I feel free. I really do. I feel like God has just really blessed my family. And He's blessed me personally just with joy and freedom from that shame and guilt that I've felt for so long. And we have three little boys already. But we're expecting our fourth child. And it's a girl this time. And um, I feel completely different with this pregnancy because with my first three pregnancies, my boys, I felt kind of guilty or mad at myself for terminating the first pregnancy, but now I walk in, in freedom from that, and so I have a complete different, completely different joy and happiness in this pregnancy. Thank you, Tori. Much love to her for having the courage to share this story. Find out more about her at her blog, torishaw.blogspot.com. Find out more about the New Life Family Outreach at newlifehighpoint.org. Well, it's about that time. <laughs> it's the end of the show. But that's okay. There are more revolutionary tales at talesoftherevolution.com. Go there now and you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play Music. You can also download any episode you want. Just click on the top menu where it says Download Episodes. On mobile devices, it's a little tricky. Look for those three little lines. That's the menu. Tap that and then you can tap Download Episodes. You can also simply search for Tales of the Revolution with Jason Vreeke on any podcast app. I was on my friend's iPhone earlier and I started typing out Tales of the Revolution and it suggested with Jason Vreeke? So I know it works. And also, shoot me an email if you would. Jason at TalesOfTheRevolution.com I'd love to hear from you. And when you're at TalesOfTheRevolution.com go ahead and join the email list too. 
you'll get some exclusive content that you can't get anywhere else. I'll shoot you an email with the direct download links. All the episodes are also available on YouTube. So search for Tales of the Revolution with Jason Vreeke on YouTube. And follow me on social media. Facebook.com slash Tales of the Revolution. Instagram at Real Jason Vreeke. Twitter at Jason Vreeke. And I know my last name is a little tricky, so it's V as in victory, R E E K E. I know I've been putting up with it for decades now. Everything can be found at TalesOfTheRevolution.com. Until next time, take heed that no one deceives you as you live for Jesus, the greatest revolutionary of all.